The classic sound of early Beethoven. That's an extract from the first movement of his B-flat piano sonata number 11, opus 22, a piece he wrote in Vienna in the year 1800. It's a time and place which we've come to associate with all that's elegant about classical music. The other two outstanding composers operating in Vienna in the final decades of the 18th century were Haydn and Mozart. Sometimes their music does sound quite similar, cut from the same cloth as it were, and it can be difficult to work out who wrote what. Outwardly, that B-flat piano sonata, written right at the start of a new century, fits in with those old classical-era precepts of beauty and balance. But not far below the surface, there's something much more quirky, turbulent and revolutionary at work. The distinctive blend of power and poetry in that sonata could only have come from one man, someone with a take on music that was quite simply unique. During this interval, I'm going to be exploring what made Beethoven tick, what drove him to compose music, and how he got on with the musical establishment in Vienna. It wasn't always an easy relationship. But the key thing to remember was that Beethoven wasn't a born and bred Viennese composer. He'd been born into a musical family in Bonn, a respectable but provincial German city. His grandfather had been Kapellmeister or music director of the Electoral Chapel there, but his father's career was less than stellar. He sang tenor and played violin and piano well enough to give lessons, but he had a drink problem and a harsh, violent temper. As he declined, his son Ludwig, as the eldest of three brothers, had to take charge of the family, and that's a lot of responsibility for any teenager. The experience must have taught him early on how to make tough, uncompromising decisions, something that must have shaped his adult behaviour. Outside of his troubled family circle, Beethoven's skills as pianist, violinist, viola player and composer were getting him noticed by Bonn's movers and shakers. People like Count Waldstein, who decided that Beethoven should travel to Vienna to study with the great Josef Haydn. What no one perhaps realised was that when Beethoven left Bonn, he would never come back. Who knew who was incredibly important in those days? So to help Beethoven get on in Vienna, Count Waldstein had given him a letter of introduction to Prince Karl Lichnowsky, a chamberlain at the imperial court and one of Vienna's leading supporters of the arts. Although Beethoven and Lichnowsky struck up a relationship that lasted a lifetime, there were several hiccups along the way. Lichnowsky provided Beethoven with a small flat to live in for his first few years and gave him an annual allowance from 1800, which was meant to tide him over until he got a regular job. This arrangement lasted until 1806, but then there was a major falling out. Lichnowsky had taken Beethoven away to his country estate in Silesia that August, at the height of the Napoleonic Wars. When he asked Beethoven to play for some French officers who'd been invited to dinner, Beethoven stormed out and made his way back to Vienna there and then. He left behind a note which speaks volumes. It reads, Prince, what you are, you are through chance and birth. What I am... I am through my own labour. There are many princes and there will continue to be thousands more, but there is only one Beethoven. 
The two men did eventually patch things up, but the truth behind Beethoven's stroppy statement to Count Lichniowski is important to understand. In a way which seems surprisingly modern to us today, Beethoven genuinely couldn't understand why he had to kowtow to these noblemen. He believed, in fact he knew, that he was every bit their equal. Beethoven's strong sense of defiant independence had been with him ever since his early days in Vienna, playing at the private homes of music-loving aristocrats like the Lichniowskis. That concept of the salon might seem incredibly old-fashioned today when we can easily buy concert tickets or access classical music at the touch of a button, but you have to remember that public concerts were few and far between in the 1790s, and that these salon performances were an important part of the musical ecology of the time. 
musicians would hang around in private houses, ready to play on demand before an invited audience in aristocratic living rooms. That was the system. To be anti-establishment would be madness, since getting in with the establishment was the only way to get on in Vienna. And yet, given that he'd arrived in Vienna and intended to make a good impression on potential patrons and employers, the way that the young Beethoven behaved at these gatherings is almost incredible. One famous occasion took place at the house of a Count Brown, a Russian diplomat whose father had been an Irish soldier of fortune. Brown was a generous supporter of Beethoven's. He called Count Brown the foremost patron of his muse. While Beethoven was performing a piano duet, Shea Brown, with his friend Ferdinand Ries, he was being distracted by a young nobleman chatting at the other end of the room. Eventually, Beethoven suddenly lifted Ries's hands from the keys and said in a loud voice, I will play no more for such pigs, and was as good as his word for the rest of the evening. You'd be forgiven for wondering who was the master and who was the servant here. But of course, that was exactly the point. The spirit of revolution was very much in the air. Austria and her allies were at war at the time with France under its iconoclastic leader, Napoleon, who was almost exactly Beethoven's age. A man who Beethoven had initially idolised, even writing his third symphony, his image, before Beethoven angrily lost faith in Napoleon, scratching his name off the title page and giving the symphony the more generic name of Heroic Symphony or Sinfonia Heroica instead. It's a work that contemporary audiences found uncomfortable to listen to. One listener complained about the endless duration of this longest and perhaps most difficult of all symphonies, which exhausts even connoisseurs and becomes unbearable for the mere amateur. And then there's its most vivid sound world, such as the second movement, which strikingly conjures up the atmosphere of a sombre military funeral. Beethoven wasn't setting out to entertain or divert his Viennese listeners. He was forcing them to think.
Replacing a funeral march in a symphony was a pretty revolutionary thing for Beethoven to do, but funeral marches were actually quite common in French music of the time. Revolutionary with a capital R, you might say. And another musical device that Beethoven borrowed from the French was the idea of writing a rescue opera, with a leading character being sprung from jail or liberated from some unjust situation. Remember that political turmoil reigned right across Europe in the early years of the 19th century. These were really dangerous times. And whereas in the letters of Mozart, for example, you'll find no references at all to the political situation, Beethoven, as a composer, was completely engaged with politics and important issues of right and wrong. One of the most striking moments in the opera Fidelio is the wonderful chorus O Welche Lust, sung by a group of prisoners as they're given an all-too-brief taste of freedom. Oh, what joy to be in the open air and breathe freely again, sing those prisoners. While Beethoven himself was free to walk the streets of Vienna and its surrounding countryside, he was a prisoner of a different sort. Deafness was gradually overtaking him, an experience which he found frustrating and humiliating, a tragedy for his personal and professional life, and one that even drew him to the brink of suicide. Amazing to think that by the time he wrote that prisoner's chorus, most of his hearing had gone. What pulled him back from the brink was the decision to dedicate his life to his art. As Beethoven put it, it seemed to me impossible to leave the world until I had brought forth all that I felt was within me. For all his commitment to democratic principles and the common man, Beethoven saw himself as an artist someone above everyday concerns and a million miles away from the court lackeys of the previous generation of Viennese musicians who'd gone before. Beethoven was special, and he knew it. If the artist as hero was a key concept of the Romantic era, Beethoven was one of the most emblematic artist heroes of all. Music was no longer about music, it was about reflecting the joys and sorrows of European society and of himself, the world outside and the world inside. Beethoven had his fair share of troubles in his own life and, as the force of his music shows, he was determined to overcome them.
You're listening to RTE Lyric Live.